I'm James Hug, and this is Outside the Glass. Outside the Glass is brought to you by SquashProShop.com, our source for equipment for racquetball, badminton, paddle tennis, and of course squash. They carry a great selection of squash equipment from all the top manufacturers at the lowest prices. Rackets and shoes, balls and bags, goggles and grips, they've got it all. They offer fast and free shipping on orders over $25. Best selection, prices, and service on the internet. Visit squashproshop.com. Today we have a conversation with Raina Pacheco. I first learned about Raina five years ago when she was a part of the squash delegation that came to Switzerland uh, to give a presentation to the IOC in uh, the bid for squash to uh, be included in the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. In January of 2015, just over two years later, Reina uh, gave the keynote speech, the keynote address at a gathering of about a thousand people. We were celebrating uh, the anniversary of the creation of Urban Squash, which was started in September 1996. Reina got up and just gave the most inspiring and powerful speech, uh, the luxury to dream big. She went on to graduate from Columbia in the spring of 2016 and has now turned professional. Uh, enjoy. I was born in Tijuana, mm-hmm. Mexico, which is right across the border from San Diego. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I grew up in San Diego, so it made sense. So um, did you go back and forth a lot, or like when when did you... Yeah, so I went... Your fam- was your family living in San Diego and Tijuana? No, or? no, no, no. So my family moved to the U.S. My mom, my brother, and I moved to the U.S. when I was four years old, so that's when we left. Tijuana. My dad actually still lives in Tijuana, right. um, but my parents separated, and that's when my mom decided to come to America. Um, yeah, but it was we did end up going to visit my dad because we had a tourist visa, but um, we ended up staying in the U.S. Yeah, my mom didn't know anyone here, so she literally came with twenty dollars and like just and two kids and two kids. How old's yeah. your brother? My brother is twenty-four. I mean, he's he's younger than you. He's a year a year and a half older than me. Yeah. So you were four, and he, he was five and a half, yeah. six years old. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was big. Do you remember, like, that day? Yeah, I mean, I I actually ask her a lot about it now that I, like, reflect on my life, I guess. Right. But um, I don't remember exactly when we left, but I do remember growing up. Like, we had settled in, a, like, when Burley came, we she was working for someone cleaning their house and like that's we were living there so so I remember that clearly just because my mom was away for work a lot and we kind of just waited for her to come home and you know people were very like she would just figure out a way to do it for both of us and you know she was cleaning houses and then cleaning the house we were living at so I just remember her working a lot a lot all the time um and that's what I remember and then when I was five I remember my dad came to like, look for us in the U.S. because he, you know, wanted, you wanted, wanted us back. And I remember getting him getting in the car and being like, why aren't we going with him? Like, it was a strange feeling, but then it was fine. Like, then I just got used to it. And, like, you know, we walk, We always lived close to school. We ended up living close to school so we could just walk to school. So it was just, it just felt like it was home. It was just, I did know that we were separated from my dad. Right. So that's why I did know that he was living in a different place and, different country because of the border like it's very you always drive through the border so i understood that at a very young age yeah Yeah. 
was your English and Spanish, were you, were you fluent in both from an early age? Or? No. I actually worked a lot in my English. I even think back now, there was a, my math teacher in sixth grade. She would give me English books to take home, and she told me to, stop, to not speak Spanish very much. And this was during the time where you wanted your kids not to have a, an accent. Right. Um, you wanted to speak fluent English where you weren't speaking like you were a foreigner and which is a very different time now and now it's actually a good thing to have multiple right. languages but exactly. at that time well, that was the case. Well also as a kid you want to fit in. Yeah exactly right? yeah you want to sound like everyone else and yeah. I remember it's just grammar words and in Spanish the grammar is different so um, I kind of just like tr- pretended in my head that it would make sense but it didn't so I did work a, a lot on I mean, no one in my house speaks English right. except for my brother and I because we were going to school at that time so my, my I never spoke English at home so I was it was two different worlds for sure I was just learning English at school and that's what I was focusing on um, so I worked a lot on getting my rid of my accent so like now that I'm older I'm like why I want to have my accent back <laughs> so it's re- and actually Gilly and so some people would joke around that my accent comes out when I get angry or feisty or happy where like that it comes out completely. when you get emotional exactly it'll just come out naturally <laughs> I don't notice it but they so- do when you go back to Tijuana, yeah. do they think you're not from Tijuana? They think, like, oh, oh, you're so to Mexicans, yes. To Mexicans, I sound American, and to Americans, I sound Mexican. So it's just... Can't win. Yeah. <laughs> can't win. No, you're always like that, and it's, you know, it's just, it's funny. Like, now that I, you know, I, even when I travel to Australia, um, the coach there wouldn't know how to introduce me. She always wanted to introduce me as Mexican, but then she's like, but she's not American, so I know she's a Mexican-American. This is my Mexican-American people. Right. So it was actually really funny, just because... To Australians, I also sounded American. Yeah, um, I can't tell the difference. Exactly. So, yeah. it's just, I'm a Mexican-American girl, so it's okay. <laughs> so, you told me yesterday about not being documented yeah. for a period. So, you were, you were, undo- I mean, you were sort of a dreamer. Yeah. So, I actually, right. when I was growing up, the Dream Act was being passed, was trying to be passed in Congress, and it kept getting shut down mm-hmm. multiple times. I remember seeing it in the news. I remember getting that email to my email box and just... Every time it just failed, so I basically was that. I was didn't have a way to legally stay here. Um, so kind of the idea of college and education and all of that wasn't... You I mean, do it, yeah. yeah, I couldn't do it. And also, you couldn't... At the time, there were heavy immigration raids. Like, you would see ICE right outside our, our homes and our neighborhoods because it's a very immigrant-populated neighborhood. Um, and they were really striking down on people hiring illegal immigrants or undocumented yes. um, so when that was occurring even the option of working in the US was even not even existent so I think that a lot of the things I don't know I think back at it now and I'm like that's completely irrational for me to pursue anything because I was just it was almost like I was unexistent to the system and a lot of my classmates if they didn't show up to class you know they're the police could take them to class and the parents could call and it's not like anyone really was counting tabs on whether or not I showed up and I understood that and I actually asked my mom the other day is like when did I know that like when was it that I knew that I was different or that that I wasn't didn't have the same opportunity as other people um and she said that it was when I started to travel with squash (laughs) this is funny a funny answer she said that because we would go drive up to LA from San Diego and there's actually a checkpoint and where they check your IDs and stuff. And thank God at that time, they were, they only ever asked you for an ID. They didn't ask you for like a California state ID or anything. So they just asked, oh, I had a school ID. So that's how I would 
be fine with the squash team. But even going to Los Angeles was a big deal. Let alone the roadblock. Just because of the, there was always like a check. They weren't always going to check, but sometimes they could. could. And that stressed you out. And that stressed me out because especially at the time, I hadn't told anyone. I hadn't told Urban Squash. I hadn't told my program um, because I remember R.E.D. trying to show us the right thing, but he always said that, you know, he would never hang out with people that aren't doing the right thing. And for me, I mean, the way that people speak about it in politics, but people speak about it left and right, but it is my life. And sometimes people don't know. It's not until you know someone that's going through it that, you're, you really start to think about it critically. So that's when I, I, I don't know how, I don't remember how I ended up speaking up, but I remember. Telling Renata. Telling Renata, I think he might have found out or something and came to speak to me. Or actually, I was invited to go speak to the Olympic Committee when I was a junior or senior in high school. And I couldn't go the first time around because I had to cross, I had to go, I couldn't leave the country. I was invited to go to Europe a lot of times when I was a junior for tournaments and stuff and I couldn't go. Um, so it's just like continuously having to say I can't go because I don't have a, it sucked because you, you're working so hard and most of the time you're working to achieve something. And so just, and I had a lot of friends who were documented who just kind of gave up, not gave up, but said, you know, this is a realistic thing. Yeah. And what I can do right now is that most of us are low income. So what I can actually control right now is helping my family. And I can, you know, work, work or give them, yeah. I speak, I speak more English than my parents. So maybe I could help them that way, right. get them more jobs or whatever. And you know, for sure, a hundred percent that you can help that way. And you know that there's a 5% chance if that, that right. anything else is going to work out. So I don't blame that a lot of people did choose that path is very, very tough to, I mean, I experienced it. I was working really hard. I was, it became a five time national urban squash champion, four times team. I was invited left and right to Europe to compete at a higher level. And you couldn't. And I couldn't. And right. I, I broke top 15 in the country for U.S. squash, and I still couldn't compete in close nationals. Like, I couldn't compete for what... Couldn't I, compete in close nationals because you weren't a U.S. citizen? Because I wasn't a U.S. citizen. So I could only compete in U.S. Open because that's when everybody could compete. But I couldn't even compete. And that's what I wanted my whole life. I wanted to compete to get one of those titles or, like, be yeah. that person. Right. Especially coming from the West Coast. I didn't grow up in the East Coast. So, you know, I... For me, being that was my competition, and like, and I could, and I did get myself to qualify for these tournaments, and then I couldn't even compete in them. So, I don't know. There must have just maybe I wasn't aware fully about how hard that was, or how unrealistic what I was doing was. <laughs> and I'm glad I wasn't, uh, because I just kept working hard. And I think part of it was that I knew that nobody could come until I didn't want anyone to knock on my mom's door and say that. Her daughter wasn't trying hard enough. I, I wanted them to say that you know she tried, but whatever wasn't under my control. But what was yeah. under my control was giving a hundred percent. You gave hundred percent every day. Exactly. Yeah. So that's. A, but I mean, with and I think I learned that through squash. I wasn't like that before starting Urban Squash. I, I definitely thought the other way more, more realistic and more living day to day. Right. Like your yeah. parents are, you see them working hard every single day and like you're making it the next day. So That's thinking right. about 10 years from then was just unreal um, in our daily lives. But then you think it was through squat, through the sport of squash that it's hard to realize. In academia, if you don't grow up in the right household with parents that went to college, you're not gonna have the same language. What's your, <laughs> there's million articles about how little, like the statistics of how little people are like you make it. So, and that has its own social construct. So when that happens, then you start to believe that in education, the gap is bigger. You believe that actually, oh, I can't make up for the 
15 years that someone was living under this language, whatever. Or I can, but it's going to take a lot longer. With sport, with squash, it was like I was working hard and I saw the results the next day. So it was almost like it paralleled what I was living in my life at home. It paralleled that that persistence and then that reward. And in that sense, with that mentality, squash allowed me to dream big. Because then, I mean, you see Olympic runners, people train their whole lives and you see them pull the ha- their so hamstring exactly and they get hurt so then you realize that nothing is certain but the beauty is in giving everything 100 percent to get to that olympic moment even if you're gonna get hurt and even in athletics even though it has that short um re- reward yeah. it also has that long-term commitment right so in that way it, it teaches you it te- to dream big exactly and to dream big with zero resistance because what what are you doing as an athlete every day? You're trying to push the bar. Right. Every training practice, everything, you're always trying to break that limit. Right. So it becomes part of the way you live. So it became part of the way I approached everything in my life. Not just squash. Not just everything. squash, everything. It, it scared me to think that anybody was working harder than me. I always felt like I had to catch up. Always felt like I had to catch up because there was things I, I didn't have and my parents right. didn't grow up right. speaking English. I knew that that was already a downfall. No, no one in my family is an athlete. I was the first athlete. I still remember going home and being like, I'm going to drink water today. <laughs> I remember that feeling. I am not going to have tortillas every meal. I'm going to have... And, and in that way, I was the gap between my family and I was growing. And I couldn't even tell my mom, well, I'm going to go to college or I'm going to be a, pro- a professional squash player because that would have been so unrealistic. And I remember having conversations with my mom saying, you know, I'm going to... I am going to do this or that. And she's like, Reina, you know, you're being told to dream really big, but when you can't make it because you and I both know you don't have documents and we don't have money to go through the process, you are going to fail fail, and you're going to be crying and I'm not going to be able to get a psychologist. I'm not going to be able to deal with it. I'm not going to know. And it wasn't, and my mom never cut my my wings short in terms of she always trusted that I was doing the right thing. Even even when I took a four-hour, three-hour bus ride at 4 a.m. in the morning to get to courts at 7 a.m. just so I could get an extra hit outside the urban squash program because it was always 10 of us on court. It was a lot of us on court. Um, Even when I did that, she didn't question me leaving at 4 a.m. Most parents would, but she trusted me. So even though she didn't know what I was doing, she trusted me. So in that sense, she didn't cut my wings. But on the other other end, she wanted to protect me. I'm her daughter. She didn't want me to get hurt. And if you look back at it, I mean, the lawyers did tell us that the possibility of me getting it was really, 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 really slim. So my mom actually made a lot of sense. So I. How, how old yeah. were you when you started Urban Squash? I was 13. 13. In, yeah. in what grade? So, well, I applied during my end of my seventh year, and then I got in my eighth. So I started in eighth, eighth grade. grade. Yeah. And Which is already late for Urban Squash bit, programs. Yeah. Bit. So you had yeah. never played any squash before you were 13? I never played any other sport before any I was sport. 13. <laughs> I was not an athlete. I'm not even kidding. I would walk around in physical education class trying to get away from the professor. <laughs> it's kind of unreal now. I'm like, come on, Rena. You could have learned your run earlier. You're, you're 74 in the world. I know. Yeah. You, <laughs> you never did anything. No. Every single other person here, they're like, ah, I played this. I played cricket. I played rugby. I, I played, you know, whatever sport. Yeah. Since they were five. Yeah. And my parents played this, 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 yeah. that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I go home now and my parents laugh at me because they're like, I can't believe the way you eat now or the way you take care of your body. I mean, it's a different world to them. When I told them I the first time going to Hong Kong, they, or now that I live in Amsterdam, 
pulling out a map and telling them this is where I live or just no they haven't seen outside of San Diego they've gone to visit their family in Mexico in Mexico City but I mean outside of that that world I mean I'm I'm seeing countries and that they'll never they've never experienced before I hope to God one day I give them the chance to but they haven't so it's a did they come to Colombia they came to Colombia when I graduated on my fourth year so and that was unreal that was it was impressive. I mean, I, because when I graduated from Columbia that same week, I was getting my citizenship, taking my oath. So they first of all thought they was crazy that I was living there for four years because the city was just that much faster than like San Diego. San Diego was a lot more relaxed. So New York was in subway and you know this amazing institution, but everything's expensive. And I never told I had a full ride from Columbia, and I also get a, had a Gates Millennium Scholarship. So Bill Gates paid for my education as well. So I had I had worked really hard to get a Even lot of scholarships. Even though you were documented. So I applied for my green card when I was 18 years old. Right. Well, the same time I was doing college applications, I was doing applications for my green card. Same year. It was unreal. My, I owe everything I have to my brother. And because he was a year and a half older than me, but he... You know, went to a ended up going to a public school to take a lot more time to help me, my parents, to make ends meet. And then when the lawyer's applications came came about, he helped me a lot with all of this, keeping my parents calm and also like getting keeping me in touch with the lawyers. So he took a lot of the, you know, I admire him every day of my life because he's been able to balance both being successful for himself and also being around for my family, um, which is a very different mentality than like what I've been learning in university where it's like do you do good for yourself go for your dreams blah 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 when you know my family is back at home is struggling so my brother always gave that so when I was in high school it's my senior year he was him and I were both dealing with all that with my parents um, and we had already had tried with lawyers a few years back and they said don't do it <laughs> like you're not gonna you're gonna be kicked out of the country don't go through the process but in that, it, when that happened, they asked my mom to officially marry my stepfather because he, we had my mom and my stepfather had been together since I was like five years old. So, but they told them to marry when, before I was thirteen. And I remember like they were getting married, and I was like at a Williams College like squash camp. Like I don't, I was the worst daughter. Anyways, <laughs> that aside, they were they got married, and then so when it was my senior year of high school, um. We tried, tried again, again yeah. but I, we only tried again because there was a family in Connecticut who had brought me to the to the East Coast for the first time when I was younger. To they had a daughter who was like, "Dad, Dad, you have to meet this girl, please, please bring her." And they brought me to the U.S. Open, Junior Open, right. and I met them. So, anyways, I ended up growing up. They always took me into their house and everything, and always came to tournaments with them. They were amazing. So the wife and husband were sitting at a bar one day and seeing a guy with books and <laughs> they were seeing this guy with books and they were trying to guess what his profession was and they were, took bets whatever and then when they asked the guy and he happened to work for the biggest law firm in New York City and decided that he was and they had my case in their phone because of that first time we had tried and he happened to be an immigration lawyer so they showed him my case and he said he would take a pro bono and with a lot of, and then I flew to New York to like in this really scary office to like do this really scary procedure to tell him about my life, and you have to understand you have to expose your entire life to this stranger, 
who's wearing a very expensive suit and you're like, how is this going to get paid? And all these things. And other lawyers already said no, so you're very confused. And yeah. now I have to go back to my parents and be like, can you please try again? Can you expose your lives to, to these lawyers again? And my parents, I mean, they barely, they were working so hard that they barely even stepped foot on the squash courts when I was growing up through the urban squash program. So this is a completely, completely different world to theirs. So anyway, so they ended up, we ended up going through the procedure and I got my green card. My mom got her, her green, no, my brother and I got our green cards when I was a senior. And they, then we applied without my mom. We didn't apply with my mom. Then, with, then we applied, we petitioned for my mom to get pardoned by the United States. So we did this because my stepfather was a Cuban. So he got political asylum okay. through the Cuban Act. Right. So that's how we were able to get it. And then, but the state basically blamed my mom for bringing us. Right. And then, so we had to. We, I have younger siblings. I have three younger siblings. So through with the, with, yeah. with my stepfather. Um, so they're all American, and so they we, were born in the U.S. Because they were born in the U.S. Um, and he had the wet foot, dry foot. Yeah, exactly. Wet foot, dry foot. But you're not your mom. But not my mom, and not my brother and I. So then we applied through that, and thankfully, like, everything went well, and my mom ha got her green card, my brother got his green card, and I got my green card, and it was right around the time that I needed to submit my application for Bill Gates and my, my application to schools. <laughs> so I was able to apply, and you only because I had that magic social security number. Like, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I wouldn't have been able to apply for college because right. most of the scholarships, you don't, get financial, aid. you don't get financial aid as a foreigner or yeah. very, very little, if any. Yeah. Um, so then I was able to apply for the Bill Gates scholarship. So not only did I get, a, get admitted by Columbia, but I also got this full and got a full ride through the private um, funding for them. Yeah. And I also got the Bill Gates scholarship and... All, all because I was able. I had a green card. So it must have been an amazing moment when that arrived in the mail. Or I mean, you go, where do you get the phone? Go. What was it? Yeah, yeah it arrived in the mail. Yeah, because I actually didn't want to do early decision with Columbia because I wanted to wait to see like um, what my scholarship offers were and stuff as well. So I'm so glad Columbia was patient enough to do that because I was like, I also had no idea about the Ivy League world whatsoever. So for me, it meant nothing that I was like saying, Columbia, can you please wait, give me a second? I had no idea. I look back now, I'm like, oh my gosh, Raina, you're ridiculous. It was insane. So I ended up getting all of this in the mail. I always do. I mean, I, I cried. I didn't understand. And my parents... My mom, I remember I'm crying a lot, but um, more because she felt guilty. She felt that she hadn't helped me do it. Like she, I applied for all of the forms on my own. I never asked. I squash club members would drive me to the SAT exams. Um, they would drive me to the SAT exams. They would, you know, because I didn't want to bother me. I knew my parents were working really, really hard to give us the best they could. and. I told my mom, I mean, she left a con she's impressed by me now that I go to different countries and I'm comfortable or whatsoever, whatever she thinks. But I tell her, she moved to a different country without knowing anyone. With two kids. With two kids. So she's my hero in my books, but she doesn't think that she helped me get there. And I told her, my brother, you guys, if it wasn't and my stepfather, who they worked, they gave me the example of what working hard is. And, you know, that might not have been how to read the Iliad or how to write a good essay, but... They just taught me the core values and through Renato, the ED of the Urban Scotch program I went through, like he never let me dream anything but big. Um, he, every time I did want to dream big, I mean, really little, he was like, no, you can do better. And so I had, throughout life, there's people that, that come in our lives for, at different times and, you know, 
for different reasons and I had a lot of I have a lot of good people in my life and at different times you needed them for you know they're there and yeah. and I and that's how I ended up being that I got my my scholarship was at Columbia for four years and then I ended up getting my citizenship the same week I got my diploma for the for university. So you, did you have to you had apply for all that and so I process, actually right? I was bored <coughs> in college once weekend and instead of going out or whatever because I felt that I was in one of a good institution and I and so as soon as I got into Columbia my brain it was almost like no one in my life has ever had this chance and no one in my community that I know of has had this chance so I'm gonna do the very best to do take advantage of everything that's in my disposition and I did exactly that (laughs) so I not only did that, so whenever I had any free time, I didn't feel like I could go out and party or whatever. I felt that I needed to do something productive. So in a weekend, I had a free time, and I was like looking at my green card, so I was like, oh, let me look at what all these numbers mean. So I started to Google what all these numbers mean. <laughs> so then the Cuban Act basically has a, um, the Cuban Act has this like retroactive clause to it, <laughs> if you say. It has a clause that my lawyer hadn't told me about, and I better I, in my in my green card there was a date, and I know that you have to have your green card for like ten years before you can apply for your citizenship. It's a long time, um, and I was like, at the time I was thinking about being a diplomat for the U.S. I was like, well, and I couldn't apply to any of the even though I had my green card now I couldn't apply to any of the things I wanted to do because I wasn't a citizen and I I couldn't do certain things with the U.S. because I wasn't a citizen. So then this number basically was a date. And I was like, well, that's not the same. I asked my brother, it's not the same date on his green card. It's not the same date as my mom's green card. So we go through the process. You actually have to say, like, when was the last time you exited the U.S. and came in. Um, so I actually did that a lot earlier on because I started to play squash. And all of a sudden in my head, there was something to lose. All of a sudden I had worked for something. So even though... I knew that the possibility of not getting anywhere was really, really <laughs> high. I also knew that I, what I did have was that. So I stopped going to Mexico. I didn't visit my dad's, which that within itself drew a big wedge between me and my entire family in Mexico. Because somehow, you know, when you think about the other, they don't call it the United States, the United States, they call it the other side. That's what you call it in Mexico. And all of a sudden, I was not going to Mexico because I was in the other side. They don't know that I was struggling a lot and I was working really, really hard. But the other side was a lot more struggle than you knew. But this number basically said that I I had made the decision to stop going to Mexico very, very early, which meant that my t- 10 years started to count really early. So I was able to apply for my citizenship a lot earlier than anyone else. So I actually went through the entire application process when I was in college. So now my extra time went to like applying for my citizenship. So I, as soon as I knew, I like started to do all the process. It took a little bit of time because I had been traveling as well, so I couldn't. I wasn't always here when they gave me the appointments and stuff. So then it ended up being that when I it was lucky that they had given me the date for the same week that I was, because I was leaving New York, so my application was in New York. Um, so I was just very lucky, very lucky, because my brother was also there. My mom had already booked her flight back, but my brother came had to my yeah my brother came to the ceremony if there was anyone i wanted to share that moment with was him and i remember you know the president obama or whoever the president is in office he they give a little video and yeah. a little talk and <coughs> the talk said something like you know now you join the rest of americans and 
your duty is to give back to make a mark uh, you've you, you know it just welcomes you into the country officially and and you know it says we know that a lot of you guys your parents and generations have come to give you this opportunity and now you have it and make some run with it so yeah i cried definitely <laughs> and my brother's tears and dick and the the, the, per, the family that had helped me get my green card were, were they there came. they came a lady i made on australia when i went to study abroad in australia came um other people that had helped me in my writing at some point you know because every milestone everything i achieve it hasn't ever been something that's just mine um it's always been people that have believed in me believe that i deserved the same opportunity as their daughter um and you know or my brother that decided to leave his opportunities for mine um and that's hard you know and i always feel indebted to everyone around me but in the same token these people also make me for with professional squash now, I have to believe that a lot of it I've done on my own as well. So it's this like weird balance because you have to be very, very confident and you have to believe that you can, I was reading a book about um, people, excellence, chasing excellence in sports and, um, and in life. And the idea is that you have to be super optimistic and the idea of dreaming big and thinking and saying, I'm going to be world number one or saying, I'm going to because if you don't say it or instead of focusing on your mistakes focusing on the things that changing the mistake and visualizing doing it right um so part of that is also understanding that i can be grateful but also understanding that i have worked really hard for it and a lot of times i i struggle with that because i want i always want to give credit where credit is due because i've none of and i've learned all the time i one of the things i was saying this morning to my bullet was that one of the things that we have to do better no matter where we come from, is to just be genuinely curious about everyone around us and do it with a lot of love because at the end of the day, I'm very good at being very happy for other people, no matter what class they come from, what race they come from. And I'm good at that because I am internally, I can see bigger, the bigger picture. Um, there's people that my, I have an opportunity that my parents don't have right now that I want my siblings to have in the future. Yeah. Um, so why focus on being envious why focus on you know there's a lot of things happening in our country a lot of political you know arguments and what so we took a little bit of time to just take a step back and you know be genuinely genuinely curious about other people's lives other people's upbringings and as a country from other countries we have a lot to learn about everyone around us as humanity i think we would get a little further and I, if i can do that i think i've always done that with a lot of love but that's People in my life have been very, very generous in that sense. Well, it's funny. You are playing an individual sport. That's You're in this box all alone with one other person that you're mm-hmm. playing and beating. So you're not on a team. You're not You're not uh, blending in in a team sport. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be very confident selfish. Yeah. and selfish at the same time that you're very much aware of all these, yeah. you know, all these other people that have been a part of your journey. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you have to be confident I mean squash is it makes it even a lot of things you're doing are on your own a lot of the sessions there's no boss that's like telling you you're doing this right or wrong or whether or not you know whether or not you're giving a hundred or a hundred ten percent you know all of this is very 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 particular and to squash Um, and sometimes it clashes with you know it was a very big decision to become a professional squash player no one from my background has done it before no one coming from urban squash had done it before I don't have the, f- I couldn't just go to my parents' house to like 
train out of there. I'm from San Diego. No one plays squash really in San Diego except the Urban Squash Program. Mm -hmm. um, no, or not at the level I'm playing it now. Hopefully right. it does grow, but not the level I'm playing it now. Um, right. So there was a and drawback. I mean, the first thing you think, I just came out of an institution 60 grand a year. You think that I want to come out and actually like help my parents, you know, like get a job that I can help my parents. In Colombia, it was all about finance, 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 because you were in the city. As if you weren't doing that, you were somehow less successful. Right. Um, right. So there was a lot of things that were going against me doing this. And even now, I, I'm not winning every match. I'm starting. There's a lot of, I mean, I was playing the best squash, urban squash, but there's the level's high. I'm playing the best. These A lot of these people were the best in their country. Right. They, they had a lot, you know, I, I didn't take my first private lessons until I was a sophomore in college. I didn't, I, you know, there was... I'm coming from a very different, very different place, and you know, a lot of these people have. Op I'm living with two, two people that are in the top and the ranked in the world, and they've breathed this every single day, and that's a luxury, and they know that, and they they share that with me, and they've been really kind. So, being able to learn and be in a different space and different perspectives, and yet understand that my life at home when I go home and I my my brother and my dad came to my dad came to watch me for the very first time at a professional tournament in the net suite um, in San Francisco in San Francisco and he you know it's tough sometimes my brother comes and sits next to me and says Raina I know this is your dream but you know my family you know there's there's a lot more to it yeah. and yeah. it's tough and you know you realize yeah. that you there's just, just I think that there's a power in storytelling and there's power in me. So somehow I take comfort in feeling that hopefully if I make it big in squash, that that in sports, I mean, Muhammad Ali, or not to compare me to these people, but yeah. Muhammad Ali, Jackie Robinson, the first, right. you know, these people believed in it and they believed that their story could change and could, and through sport, people look at sport. There's a, there's a tension around sport um, and it's somewhere where everyone can, no matter where you're from, can come together in one space um, and yeah. listen to the same things. So hope, that's my dream. That hopefully that, that I can do that with my career. For me, it's when I make it big. I feel like people will listen more. Um, well, you have made it big. <laughs> but right? yeah, yeah, you're I'm already accomplishing <laughs> every step of the way. You're accomplishing all these unprecedented things. It's true, but right? it always the the goal always dream uh, always gets bigger and bigger as you achieve. Which is funny. Actually, Natalie said this about. No matter what, squash players always, you think you're playing great, but then that raises up because then you actually have no real judgment of how great you're playing because that bar always keeps getting higher. That's right. But, um, well, I think in every, every walk of life, you, um, you know, you're world number two, you want to be world number one. Mm -hmm. You're world number one, you want to break all the records. Like the, you never are satisfied, yeah, yeah. which is good. Yeah. But it's also detrimental. You keep on saying, well, I'm not, I, you know, I haven't done that. And, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you, uh, you don't um, ever pull back and say, this is pretty amazing. What, yeah, what yeah, I do. I, th I think one of the things that a lot of my colleagues, if you, would, if you will, in squash, uh, one of the things that they tell me, besides, you know, that we all work really hard, but I am literally, it's actually kind of funny. Anything we do, I'm so excited about it. I'm just like, oh my gosh, food, or oh my gosh, we're the here, or we're there, training. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited for everything, and... I think it has to do with that. I feel lucky every single day, and I am the happiest I've ever been because I feel that way. Because I, I know that you know I'm still figuring, trying to figure out how I'm going to make it through the next few months because that's what we do in squash. 
um, and that's something my brother doesn't want me to have because that's how we lived our whole lives and right. in that sense in his eyes it's like Reina I didn't have a education that expensive and I'm earning more than you right now like come on get it together but in the other flip side he understands that Swash changed my life and um, and in that way I always make sure that I am being really grateful and gracious and understanding that I'm very very lucky so even though I want to push the agenda and I, and I do I want to push the agenda I don't I don't want to just be the first urban squash player that played Professional. squat professionally. Right. I want to be one of the best players in the world that happens to be an urban squash player right. rather than the urban squash player that's playing professionally. And that's the difference that, you know, you want to be when we, a lot of people that come from Iraq and our upbringing, you don't want to be the first generation student at this. You want to be so good at your job. And it's kind of cool that you came from there. Right. And that's important. That's very, very important for everyone. I think that the, what the limits that we hear on the newspaper or whatever it starts to really form our reality and it threads into the way that we think and that's not the way i want i want to live my life and gratefully squash teaches me that every day every session i'm never satisfied a little bit is i'm satisfied i'm happy with the overall thing but i always want to push how good i can be and how much i can learn there's always something to learn from someone else i take that in my training but i also take that in my approach to life and yeah. but with that also knowing that you, you being confident in who you are and like take I take confidence in the fact that I've known I know how to work hard because my parents have done doing it from 5 a.m. to 12 p.m. at night that like how can I complain about anything that I'm if something goes wrong okay it's not the end of the world that I hit that 10 you know why because there's just so much bigger there's so much more yeah. and I'm gonna fix it and I'm gonna pay attention to it but it's going to be fixed and yeah. keeping that um, optimism, I think it's something that I guess it's a strength in that sense that I don't feel I lost my match and I was bummed out and I was upset because I want to do well in the U.S. Open. That's my, my biggest dream would be to be, do well in this event yeah. specifically because, you know, I went to represent the U.S. team in um, Argentina recently um, at Pan American Games. Right. And that was my first time ever holding the U.S. flag and feeling American and going with the, Amer with the coach and with the American coaches and feeling part of them and feeling part of that team and that was the biggest thing for me. I think that I want to be a diplomat for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons why I wanted to be a diplomat was because of the flag. <laughs> because wearing that on um, my knowing that I represent that and I yeah, there's a lot of good things about it. Right now it might not be in the best light, but there's so much good things about this the way that I feel when I right. carry that flag and the opportunity that it's given me and I definitely wanted to do that in the U.S. Open, and I didn't right now. But you're upset and disappointed, but then you realize that, you know, it's not not I'm not there yet, but I'm gonna get there, knowing yeah. that you're going to get there, and that you trust that you trust that process. And I guess that my my challenges with my with my green card and all that <laughs> gave me the resiliency of I've been told no. So many times. So many times. I've been told this is impossible a lot of times. And somehow I'm so irrational that I sometimes I just go for the, the least, like the least traveled path. I very hard for you to be an urban squash player that's gone pro, but I did it and I'm doing it and I'm not going to be just okay. I'm going to be great and trusting that. And I had trouble doing that a lot in college and I, I had trouble at the beginning. I thought kind of felt sorry for myself mm -hmm. at the beginning of my and now I don't want to ever I don't want anyone ever to speak of me that way I, I if I could do it again I would be born the same way I would have the same struggles because it makes things even sweeter and I don't 
no one needs to look at me and say, I wish that girl had had a better life because the amount of people I've been exposed to through the sport and through college and that are different than me, it's enriched my life and that are the same as me. I thank God every day of my life that I was born with the parents I was born and the neighborhood I was in Mexican and everything. So yeah. you just have to, everyone, everyone has their struggles. Everyone's fighting a battle and you have to learn to be kind and know that everyone's doing that no matter what walk of life you're doing it and keep shooting for the stars. I always thought, I wish that I, I could say that tomorrow. Or you said people. that in your speech at the yeah. Lucia, um, uh, 20, the 20th uh, anniversary gala. Yeah. It was really powerful. Yeah, I mean, everybody was big. crying. <laughs> yeah, I wish they didn't cry. Come on, I like to laugh. <laughs> but yeah, dream big, as big as possible. Why not? But that's, I mean, that's what you. But it's a luxury. Said, right? It's a luxury to dream big for sure. I thank God that I have the opportunity to do to do so, to dream big and be unrealistic. And but it's, I never take for granted that it is. The book that I was reading said to be optimistic and said that I had the privilege to have the opportunity to be optimistic my, my, since I was a kid. Yeah. That's what the author was saying, and he's right. You know, not everyone... I, I tell my mom now, even, you know, my parents are still struggling, same neighborhood. I haven't done anything to change that since I'm doing the squash tour. Um, I actually <laughs> made it worse. <laughs> but um, I come back home and I tell her, you know, that I used to really think that when I was a kid that people that were meant to be wealthy were meant to be wealthy and people were meant to be poor were meant to be poor and I or whatever it whatever it, is, yeah. it was just the way it was and yeah. I told my mom you know mom I started to believe that it's just anything you want mom I'm not saying there's a lot of systemic issues in her system there's a lot of things I'm not unwriting that no way I, I believe there's so much so many issues so many things we can work on um, and I don't believe people are poor because they choose to be poor. I don't believe these things. Um, I've had a lot of opportunity. People that have had more privilege than me that opened the doors for me wasn't because I did it on my own in that sense. Um, but I also believe that, you know, you, you make a choice in that sense that you have to... I was lucky to be surrounded by someone who not, did not let me make any other choice but dreaming big right. by shooting to the stars. And I would sit in car rides with Renata, the AD, and say, said to him, I said, I'm not, I don't have papers. You're, I'm not going to be able to be a professional squash player. I can't travel anywhere, let alone, you know, all these tournaments are other places in the world. How am I going to pay for it? I always gave him reasons why I wasn't going to be able to achieve it. And he always gave me reasons to work hard. <laughs> so eventually, it wasn't that I believed. At some point, I started to believe that I could. At some point, I was like, okay, my fourth national title, I can get the fifth one or whatever. At some point, I did start to believe that and it became part of me. And if I didn't do that, then I somehow felt short of that, But which is the way I feel now about my professional squash career. But at that time, I didn't. And I told my mom, I told my mom you know, you have to believe that you can do anything. And, and I know it's hard when you're struggling to give your kids a better life and and it, you know, and it, and everyone left and right is judging you because you're or you know, articles have been published with me. People people comment on it, like, how could you be here? What are you doing? People have very strong opinions politically, and they don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> um, everyone has opinions always, and, and now the media, and now the way our country is going, like, there's a lot of opinions, and 
and people are voicing that and it's yeah. sometimes you feel scared and I'm in Amsterdam now and I'm very happy um, being there yeah. um, for a lot of reasons but you know you yeah. you're always going to be to- there's always going to be the downside and I think that what's made m- me be able to do certain things is that when I was a kid I was just never satisfied and I think that I just wanted to know more do more learn be more curious, yeah. um, but in that sense I, I think I guess I would not say to just dream big, the, not just be optimistic with what the book was saying, not just be optimistic, but work towards your optimism. Like you have, it's not just being optimistic that's going to make it. Yeah. It's working every day. Like right. I was scared. I, I couldn't go to bed sometimes thinking that somebody else was working and staying up later. So I always put that work behind me. I'm not just optimistic on the squash court. I know I have to go and work, work hours, and, hours and hours yeah. and improve. And, I know I have a lot of catching up to do, so in that sense, but it is a luxury that I'm able to focus on sport. Like, what? <laughs> like, my parents don't get it because they're right. like, that's what people, what? <laughs> like, no, that's not a job. <laughs> so, and it, then in that way, like, dreaming big comes with working big. Bor- yeah. Work as big as you dream, I guess. That's what I would say. Like, yeah. just dream big, work bigger. That's it. <laughs> work bigger. So, in that sense, uh, you, it is a luxury, but you have to. I've been very lucky to have had people in my life that give me that luxury, have worked with me in that luxury. And it's funny the way that the harder you work, the more you believe, the luckier you get. Right. <laughs> so that's right. You keep putting yourself out there. Good yeah, but you have to. I think not be scared. I think that sometimes asking someone to get have a hit with me, or have a squash mm. hit with me. Um, Sometimes I'm scared because I'm like, oh, maybe they might be a better player. Maybe do they know whatever? And you just have to. That's what beautiful about squash. You're constantly uncomfortable. It's like you're on the edge of this cliff and you're constantly being asked to jump, 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 jump. That's it. Like, and then that's and it teaches you that. I'm learning so much more in squash than I would have in anything else. Like, you're being asked to be uncomfortable, be in different people's homes, learn different cultures, learn different mentalities, learn different ideologies. I've stayed in Texas before with the most conservative family I've ever met. And they've learned... They Learned about you. Yeah, learned about me. And I learned about them. And, mm. you know, and being that uncomfortable and being willing to ask. And that's something that I think, at least I'm grateful that I had. Like, I do remember, like, my mom being shy about coming to our squash club because she didn't. She had holes in her shirt and, and just didn't feel like anyone there looked like us. And I remember being like... Who cares, mom? <laughs> Let's just go in. Like I don't know why I felt that way, and now I am the I am the person that kind of asks, you know, whatever. Just let's just do it. Let's just do it, but rather than shying away from it. And I've, the older you, I get, the more frightened I get of like maybe what people think or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, right. But I'm trying to stay as close as possible to that idea of jumping off the cliff because. If I had played it safe, I wouldn't be here today. If I had played it safe, God you knows, maybe I'd be, I would be, maybe back in Tijuana, right. you know. So if I had played, if I had ever played it safe, I wouldn't be here today. So if anything, never play it safe. <laughs> Always go for it, <laughs> because there's no other way. When it's when you have it that badly, like when when you have no opportunity, no matter where you turn, or everything is telling you that you won't make it, you have nothing to lose, really, right? So, you're gonna fail, or you're gonna fail, and maybe if five percent chance you'll make it. So, 
why not just go for it um but that's scary and i get it that's scary you feel you know there's articles being published in the newspaper left and right about first generation students what people are afraid of what people aren't afraid of going into dorms and not having sheets but having a Fulbright scholarship which happened to me um all these things and you know at the end of the day you could use all these things to give you a reason why to stop or (laughs) you can use those reasons to feel you and I I just don't have I would I get really sad in thinking that I the times that I feel like giving up I'm like Okay, I have all these reasons, a hundred reasons why I could give up and one reason why I should keep going. So this is a familiar scenario that's happened to me all my life. Um, and it's just, I guess it's just funner to, to test my, sometimes I play tricks with myself. I'm like, let me just test my luck. <laughs> let me just do it. Might, might get kicked out of here, but might not. So thankfully, I've been very lucky to bump into people who, you know, and I think part of it is my, my the love that I approach life with, I guess. Well, you're you're still so positive, even though um, uh, even though you've had all these ups and downs, right? Yeah, have to be. Keep on know. going for the one percent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the one percent. I mean, that's you know, most people when they fail a little bit, they that's they stop. Yeah. You know, they they uh, they uh, retreat. Yeah. Right. Not gonna say I, I haven't thought about it, but you, when you have nothing, I guess it's, it's <laughs> the too. other side doesn't seem any prettier. So, but it's hard. It's yeah. hard. It's easier. It's much easier to stay in your comfort zone. It would have been much easier for not for me not to walk into that squash club. Much easier for me to tell my urban. Squ- I remember the first time I was in an urban squash program. I was like, "What do you want from me?" <laughs> like I didn't trust anyone. It's much easier to say, you know, I didn't have private lessons since I was five years old. I didn't, I'm not an athlete, I'm not naturally an athlete. Um, I still don't have a lot, I don't have a lot of, you know, I didn't play for the US team ever. All these people know, all the people in the US team know each other since they were kids, parents know each other. Um, But it's easy to do that and it's easy to judge. It's less easy to say, Maybe I have something to learn from them, they have something to learn from me. Right. And maybe, just maybe, if I work hard enough, I'll get there, you know? I, I had coach, the U.S. coach, and Rich, Wade, and Gilly, you know, at some point, I remember just, I'm like, do you guys ever think I'm gonna play for the U.S. team? And they say nothing to me, and you know? And just summer after summer, coming back to them, I get, thankfully they gave me the opportunity to join some of the U.S. squash academies, and um, you know, they've seen, and they showed up to my match, and. You know, even something little like that for me means the world to having that person outside my court. And I think in that sense, I never take that for granted ever. And to me, it's sweeter. People are used to it. I'm not used to any of it. Um, and I will never become used to it. I never, will never take someone's job for granted. And in that, in that sense, it's always played to my strength, I guess. Um, but it's much easier to do the other way. It's yeah. much harder to treat someone that's calling you undocumented um, names whatsoever. It's much easier to treat them with hate right. than to be like, I know that you might have been brought up differently and let me learn and let me show you or talk to you about where I came from and what my story is and how much I, how much I love this country just as much as you do. <laughs> we have the same goal, same love. So let's just join it, why not? But um, that's harder. That's yeah, why that's why we're divided. That's why there's a lot of division because we think we know it all when really we don't. 
None of us, I don't know the full answer. I, I doubt very many of us do. Yeah. You know, I, I went to Ecuador when I was in college to do a, I ran a service program for two years and I, I went to Ecuador and to work with the indigenous community and I was just amazed with, they were building ways to do agriculture, mm. uh, agriculture, because they don't, they have very little. So for me, they were geniuses. There was so much we could learn about them, and from them, systems that we could apply here to be less wasteful and more useful. That's right. Um, when that's with right. much more resources. That's right. Um, and that's what I thought. And we we're here. Here we are coming up with apps. I'm like, come on, guys. We could come up with things that could change the world. Um, but in both ways, it comes right. both, ways. both ways. It's an exchange. That's what I always say. It's never service. It's never international service. It's an international exchange. You're always exchanging some right. information. You get a lot out of it, and then exactly. you get something out of it, too. Both ways. And, and I think that we stopped believing that more and more now. Yeah. We started we, we've shifting. Our culture is shifting to believing even my generation that we know everything, that we deserve everything. Yes. And we don't know everything. And yeah. the more you question, the better it is. Because actually, life is very uncertain. And... Diets change all the time. It believes on myths and stuff change all the time. So, right. and that's what that's what beautiful about squash that I learned. So all these things I've learned is because of my sport. In uh, squash, there's not tell me one way that you know there's to not one that. technique yeah. to right. do it. Millions of ways, millions of ideologies, and yeah. you j- and that's what's fun about it. There's always something to work on. There's always something to get better at. Now that changing the tin, the time of the there's always something that's changing. Um, and in that way you just learn to adjust squash is a game of adjustment right everything is you adjust you adjust you adjust within the rally within the game Um, and that's how life is and the more comfortable you are the worse it is really (laughs) come on and it wins a little bit of spice so anyways that's what I try to do with life but we'll see how it goes I'll let you know in a few years whether or not this ideology actually works we'll see Outside the Glass would like to thank SquashProShop.com and Grant Irving for helping create this podcast.